so great to see you folks uh, here tonight. If you're joining us online, we are so honored that you're joining us online uh, this evening um, as well. Uh, we are going to get back into the second half of our notes here on Lesson 3. Um, and uh, as you're getting your notes out, really where you can go is to the back of your notes. We're going to be working on that chart that is the very last page of your uh, notes there. Uh, we're looking at the seven churches. But before we get uh, started tonight, just a couple things. Um, a resource for you if you uh, are interested uh, in this. I was given some information uh, today and kind of listened to a little bit of it. Uh, if you know anything about Crosstalk on VCY Radio, um, there was a uh, message done. You can go to, uh, to Crosstalk online, uh, and they have the episodes on there that you can listen to. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung is a uh, gentleman who talks about end-time things and is very good on that. Uh, they did a whole segment on what's happening over in Israel right now, the things that are happening over there, the wars that are going on, the history behind it, and how, how all this goes and stuff. So it was a very interesting uh, segment, and want to just encourage you, if you have time, uh, just kind of Google, you know, Crosstalk VCY. Uh, that's how I did it, and you can get on there and, and do that. So it was very interesting uh, there as well. Uh, so good resource for you as well. There's another gentleman, and I can't tell you his whole name. His uh, first name's Amir. Am I saying that right, Don? You, oh, good. You can say it better than I can. Say that out loud, real loud. Amir Sarfati. Amir Sarfati is an Israelite um, and has been doing a lot of things out on that as well. You can just kind of type in Amir and I'm sure you'll get to it uh, there and uh, some good information on that. So just a lot of things that we're seeing of, the, of what's happening today, um, uh, how these things are happening. Now again, I've told you and we've said many of these things happened over the last generations. Many other generations have seen this type of stuff, but yet um, it's really amped up more and more. Rex. It was on yesterday. It was on yesterday. So, yeah. Okay, so you may put on VCY this evening, and maybe it'll be repeated, or I, I'm not sure. So, all right. Seven or eight o'clock, but you're not allowed to leave here early. So, it was on yesterday. So, oh, it was repeated last night, but you can get it online uh, there. So, anyways, it was just a good uh, uh, thing uh, happening there. Uh, so, again, I want to emphasize to you that these things have been happening, but they're amped up. So, for example, in 2006, is, uh, um, Hamas and Israel kind of had the same type of conflict again. And it was over a 30-day period that the Palestinians fired 4,000 rockets into Israel, um, and Israel took care of that in that 30-day war. In less than 10 days, they've already fired that many rockets into Israel. So they've already fired 4,000 rockets in, and Israel has uh, taken, taken those out and stuff like that. I also heard in a news report today uh, that most of the uh, casualties um, on the, in the Gaza Strip and most of the casualties that are happening with civilians, uh, Palestinian civilians, um, are happening because of misfired Hamas rockets, not because Israel has fired them into uh, there. So, you know, uh, mainstream media is kind of against Israel and, and stuff, but those things are kind of showing. So I just want to give you some of that information, so, stuff that you can look up and find online. I am by no means an expert in this. I'm just sharing with you some of the things that we're seeing um, and what's happening. And so it's just very interesting as we are looking in light of what the Word of God says, what the signs of the times are, uh, that these things are happening at the extent uh, that they are happening. Again, I stress, because I've, I've been doing this, uh, talking to you about this last several weeks, I've got to stress this every time. God's in control. He's got his plan. Uh, you know, he's going to be right no matter what. And uh, we just kind of look at it and we know that as these things fire up that we are to look up because our redemption draws near. All right, we'll be just looking for Christ and living for that imminent return. So we're going to look at the seven churches uh, tonight. We started uh, looking at them a little bit last week, kind of looked at how you can um, interpret these things and, and look at them. We're going to look at each church in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. If you have your Bibles, it'll be uh, good for you to follow along as we go. And we're going to fill in this chart here on page number uh, 9 uh, here in your notes. Before we do that, let's just take a brief moment. Let's have a word of prayer and get our minds and hearts united as we think on these things. Father, I thank you so much that you love us. You love us to the point of giving us things that help us prepare for the future. 
I do pray for Israel right now. I pray for uh, protection. I pray for your will to be done in all of this and how this plays out and what this uh, has going on. I pray for uh, that nation um, as you love them and we are to love them as well. And I pray, Father, that you'll bless now as we um, open your word and we look at these churches and what they have for us, uh, even in our life today, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you recall, the best way to interpret these seven churches is to interpret this as these are seven actual churches that were actually there in uh, Asia Minor when John wrote these letters and wrote specifically to these churches. However, as you're going to see as we go through this, everything that happens in each one of these churches can apply to our lives. They can apply in, in how, we can, how we apply Scripture to our lives. So the interpretation is, is that John is not writing this so that it's for everyone. It's only for these churches, but we get to glean the application from that there. So we're going to look at the first church. It's the church of Ephesus uh, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Ephesus is known as the loveless church, the loveless church. And how we're going to do this is I'm just going to read the passage of the, of, of the church and then we'll go in and fill in the blanks and talk about it as we look at the chart there, okay, as we go through. I apologize, my mouth is dry tonight. So as we get into here, a couple things I want you to see. Um, number one, remember the word angel. We're going to see the word angel, right to the angel. The angel is the messenger or the pastor of the church, okay, because angel means messenger. You will also see in every beginning verse that John is told by Jesus to write exactly word for word what he's going to write, okay? So what John writes is what Jesus gives to him through the angel, but what, what Jesus wants him to say. And you will notice that each one of these are letters that uh, he writes, and in uh, history, how they wrote in, in this day and age, you signed your letter at the beginning, not at the end. So you will see a statement about Jesus Christ as being the author of the letter, so it is, again, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. John is working as a scribe, if you will. He is writing down exactly what Jesus dictates to him to write in these passages. So look at verse number one. You'll see what I mean. To the angel, that's the pastor, of the church of Ephesus, write. So Jesus has told him what to write. Write this to this pastor. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Well, that's taken right out of chapter number one in the description we saw of who Jesus was, right? So this is obviously Jesus that is writing this. And this is what he writes to this church. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for, the na for my namesake. And you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the first, uh, the, excuse me, you abandoned the love you had at first or abandoned your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Let this, uh, you, excuse me, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So this is the letter that John writes, dictated from Jesus to him. And every letter is going to follow this format. We're going to see Jesus tells John to write. We're going to see a heading of who Jesus is. We're going to see the strengths, the works is what it's going to say, the works you have done. We're going to see the failures of the church. We're going to see the instruction that's given, the warning that's given. And we'll see the promise to be fulfilled. And at the end of every letter, we're going to see this closing statement, for those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit has said. And so basically that's, that's the application. Anyone that is a follower of Jesus Christ that hears these commands can now apply them to their life. So it goes to the church, and this is to the specific situation of the church, but when we finish, you'll see how this applies to all Christians as well uh, in our lives. So when we look at Ephesus, we see that they're the loveless uh, church, and we see that because they have left their first love, is what um, Jesus says here. So let's look at their strengths. He says they're hardworking, they're patient, 
They have patient endurance, they reject evil, and they persevere. We also see in this church that they're uh, working through and dealing with false teachers that have come into the church. So they, they don't accept the false teachers, they're, they're rejecting those, and they are living a good Christian, godly life, following the Word of God, following what they're supposed to do, doing what's right, and all of that. However, even though their mechanics are good, right, even though they're following what they're supposed to do, uh, they are just simply mechanical, and what I mean by that is their failures, they have forsaken their first love. That is your blank there. Should be a blank box underneath failures on Ephesus there. Do you see that? Right in there, um, forsaken your first love or left your first love. Oh, it's on the screen for us too. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Dave. You'll have this on the screen for you. You have forsaken your first love. All right. So they were doctrinally pure. They were serving Christ. They were a church that were going through the mechanics, but they had no passion. They had no love. Why are you doing this? Because it's religious ritual is what it really wound up being. And so uh, they, they didn't do it because they loved God. They didn't do it because they had a desire to follow Jesus Christ. They did it simply because this is what we are supposed to do to be good so they went down and they had the to-do list. You know, you do this today, do this today, do this today, do this today. You're a good Christian. That's how they lived. But they had no passion, no love for Christ. All right? So he instructed them. He said, repent and do the works as you did at first. Well, what's he referring to doing the works that you did at first? What are they repenting? They're repenting that their actions are not actually actions of love. They're just actions because that's what they're supposed to do. Do your work as you were for, uh, supposed to do in the beginning. Do it with passion, with love, because you love Christ. Um, you remember, you remember when you started courting or started dating or wh- whatever it was there, that, that there were tasks that your significant other, before you married them, when you were dating, they asked you to do that today, you would say, no, I'm not going to do them because you're married. Because you love them, right? Mine's taking out the trash, all right? That's, that's, that's my struggle. That's my, that's my one I have a hard time with. When my wife and I were dating, if she was to say to me, take out the trash, oh, yes, I love you so much, I will gladly do this. And then we said, I do, and I said, do I have to? So, you know, so that's kind of how that, that goes. They got into the routine. They got into the norm of what they were what they were doing. The warning is this, and this is powerful. He says, I will remove your lampstand. Now, what is that referring to? So, when, when we see this, we see in the first chapter, the seven lampstands that were given were the seven churches, the light of the church, the beacon of the church. Literally what he's saying here is that, listen, if you're going to just be mechanical about this, if you're just going to be religious about this, and you're not going to have any passion or love for me, this isn't going to come out of your love for me, then I am going to stop your ministry. That's what he's saying. I'll remove your light. You may still go through the mechanics. You still may be religious, but I am not going to make you a beacon of light. I'm not going to let you uh, serve because the reason why we do what we do as followers of Jesus Christ is because of the love that God has lavished on us and that grace, and we go out and do the same thing. And he's saying to the church here, you've walked away from me. You're doing the things, but you're only doing them because you have to. However, we see when it comes to the promise, there's a caveat to the promise, and that is this. He always says, to the one who conquers. So what he's saying here to give, to give us the promise is that to the one has overcome this failure, to the one who has repented, in this case, and gone back to their first love, he says, I will, uh, you will eat from the tree of life. And what he's saying here is that the relationship that we have with Christ is so much more important than the things that we do for Christ that this is the foundation of our genuine salvation. A person that is genuinely saved does what they do out of love for Christ and love for others because God loves him. And so what he's saying here is you will eat of the tree of life. Well, where's the tree of life? It's going to be in heaven. And so he's he's telling them you will have eternal life. You will live forever okay so this is the the church of Ephesus so you're already seeing I I, I can see as you're shaking your heads and, and as I'm giving this to you you can already see how this already applies to our lives that can't you I mean this was the problem in the church of Ephesus but how many of us have walked away from our 
first love individually? Or have we at times walked away and have come back? I mean, it's something that we need to continually work on and renew, okay? So, writing to this church, he's, he's giving them uh, these situations and what it will be. That's the church of Ephesus there. Now, I'm not going to ask, uh, ask for a bunch of questions. We, we need to get through this. But if you have a question, Gary, you raise your hand. What do you got, bud? I will, remo- I will remove your ministry. ministry. Yep. I'll remove your ministry. We'll make the church un- not doing what it's supposed to do. So we know of many churches, and we could probably know even today of many churches that still meet, still have church services, still go through the motions, have their ri- religious rituals that they do and stuff like that, but they're no effect whatsoever in their community or in the world whatsoever. They have no outside ministry. They just meet to meet in here. That's what he's saying. You'll have no effect outside um, uh, of the church. Okay. So let's move on to Smyrna, the suffering church. This is the suffering church in verse number 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. You see Jesus in that statement, right? That's Jesus. He writes, I know your tribulation and your poverty, in parentheses, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So we see here that Smyrna is a church that is suffering, and it's really suffering from inside. Some of the things that Ephesus was dealing with, Smyrna is really dealing with in a large group. So their strengths were this. They uh, endured your suffering and poverty, yet you are rich. So what he's saying here is this. Smyrna was a poor church, physically poor didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of resources, didn't have a lot of things. As a matter of fact, most of those that lived in Smyrna, most of those people that were there in Smyrna were slaves. Uh, and so those that went to church were, were slaves. They, they had no income of their, of their own. They were taken care of by their masters and stuff like that, but they were free to go and worship and stuff like that. But where he says you are rich is the fact that you are rich in spiritual matters. In other words, in contrast to Ephesus, he's literally saying, you haven't left your first love. You, you still love me. You still have a, 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 a vibrant uh, relationship with me. And so spiritually you are strong, but uh, physically you are weak. Um, and so Smyrna as a church had no failures. So the failures there was none. They did, Jesus didn't have anything to say about them that they weren't doing proper As the church went, what he was saying, though, is that there are those in the church among you that claim to be Jews, that claim to follow God, but aren't. They, in essence, are following Satan. Now, when you think about that, they didn't have a little church of Satan in the midst of of the church there. Uh, what What he's saying here is you either have one of two options in your life. You'll either serve God or you'll serve Satan. If you don't serve God, you default to serving Satan. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying these people were uh, in the midst of the church. They were causing problems in the church. And the problems they were causing was because they were following not God, but the things of Satan. Now, they, they were not walking around blatantly following the things of Satan. Uh, again, it's that, that they weren't following the things of God. And that caused turmoil and trouble within, within the church. And so the instruction that's given to them, to the rest of the church other than these people, it says, remain faithful even when facing prison, persecution, or death. So he gives a warning here uh, in the midst of it saying, listen, these people that are causing and stirring up problems in this, kind of not following God but following Satan, Satan is working through them and you're going to find yourself being persecuted 
by these people and by others outside, and you may even face some prison time with it. As a matter of fact, he says you will go to prison. He gives you a 10-day uh, prison time there. Now, is that literal? I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be. Um, it's just si- simply saying, though, that you are going to f- deal with persecution, and you will face this persecution, but remain faithful in the midst of it. Uh, there and as you remain faithful in the midst of it he, so the warning he's giving is is not a warning to the church that there's a problem with the church the warning is is that satan is attacking this church that is faithful to god you're going to endure hardship you're going to endure struggles in your life remain faithful as you go uh, through on that and so the warning there you probably have a blank box there it's none the word none or or no warning in in that box there on smyrna is that right Okay, so you can write the word none in there. N-O-N-E, not N-U-N. <laughs> All right. And then to the one who conquers, to those in the church that faithfully remain faithful to God and deal with this persecution, he says, I will give you the crown of life and you will not be hurt by the second death. Again, he's talking about eternal life. Now what's interesting here is the crown of life really has two meanings. I believe there is a literal crown of life that we will receive as a reward. There are five crowns in Scripture that are told that the believer can earn uh, when we get to heaven, and that might be within the rewards that we receive at the judgment seat of Christ there. But it's also a picture of the fact that those who remain faithful because of the relationship with God, you will have eternal life. You will not be hurt in the second death. Have you heard that term before? The second death literally means hell. You will not be in hell. You will be in heaven for your faithfulness there. But those that are not faithful, those that are in this other group, or those that don't repent and get things right with their life, they will not have a crown of life. They will be in the second death there. So, And again, we see how it lays out for this church, but it also applies uh, to our lives there. All right? Let's move on to worldly Pergamum. Worldly Pergamum. We find this in verse number 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Again, a statement of Jesus Christ. Jesus writes and says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak and put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent." If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So we see here that Pergamum was a worldly church. Uh, their strengths were that they were loyal to Christ, and they refused to deny them to die Christ. So they, they took a stand for Christ, and they didn't deny Christ. But their failure was is they tolerated cults, heresies, idols, and immorality. So basically, what they did uh, is that they took. I stand for God, but all that other stuff that you, you believe in, stuff like that, bring that on in too. It's okay. It's all right. We call that today ecumenicalism, right? It's like you can believe whatever you want to believe, however you want to believe to get to heaven. All roads lead to heaven. We're all good to go. 
All right. We, we, we over here, though, are going to say, yeah, we absolutely stand on Jesus Christ, but you can bring whatever you want in and, and tolerate that. And they, they tolerated the idolatry. They also tolerated the rituals that came with that idolatry, which was usually sexual immorality, prostitutes and stuff like that. And they just allowed all of that to come in. So, yes, we believe in Christ. We believe he, he died for us, but we accept everything else as well. And the only instruction that God gives to them is to repent. Repent. Seek forgiveness. And Jesus steps in here and says, I will fight against your false teachers. That's the warning. I will, I will do that. Um, and those who will repent, those who overcome, those who allow God to fight and take out these false teachers that are there, he, he says, the promise I give to you is hidden manna and a stone with a new name in it. So you say, what is, what is that about? That's really an interesting thing. A lot of debate has been uh, talked about on this. A lot of speculation has been given. So the manna is a, is a picture here. If you, you know what manna is from the Old Testament? When they were wandering in the wilderness, God provided manna. And the literal translation of the Hebrew word for manna means, what is it? That's, that's the definition. That's, when they picked it up, what is it? I don't, I don't know, eat it. That's what God said, you know. Um, and it turned out to be kind of a, a honey-style bread that, that they made and they ate and stuff like that. The picture that's given here is that if you will repent and get your life right and not be a part of the world but follow Christ, you will receive the bread of life. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. You will receive eternal life. But what in the world is this stone with a new name on it. What does this mean? Well, there's uh, several different speculation as to what this uh, symbolizes. I'll give you three really quick. Um, some link the stones to the breastplate of the Old Testament priest. It was called the Urim and Thummim that, that they had. They had the, they had the um, 12 stones of the tribes of Israel on them. They were used to determine God's will, uh, and the high priest would use them however he did to determine God's will. And the view is that this stone is a promise that you will know the knowledge of God's will. Now, I don't necessarily hold to that view because I believe the knowledge of God's will is found right in the Word of God. That's God's will for us, and we need to know, know God's Word. But some tie it to that. Others... Say the, the white that it's talking about of the stone is that it is a diamond, the precious of all stones, and it symbolizes God's gift of eternal life. And that's, that's possible uh, that it could uh, do that and symbolize that. However, those that I've read that have given this possibility, I believe is probably the best understanding. The best understanding is in light of a Roman custom that they had in that day. Um, and we see a lot of things coming from the Roman customs, like when Paul talks about the Olympics and the, and the crowns that they receive, the laurels they receive and stuff like that. This ties back to that. Um, those who won in any major uh, athletic contest was awarded a white stone. And on that white stone was the victor's name carved into that stone. And what that stone did, it was, it was a, an award for them, kind of like the medals we receive in the Olympics or the trophies we get when we do uh, other things there. This, this beautiful white polished stone uh, there um, had their name engraved on it. And, and what happened was after they had won this athletic uh, activity and all those who were first place in these athletic activities like our Olympics, they would have a huge banquet afterwards that only those who won the, these things could go to. And the way that you would get in to know that you had won is you would show them your white stone. Your white stone was proof, was your ticket, if you will, that you could come into this banquet and to celebrate. Most who hold to this view, hold this view is, is a picture of basically what happens when we know Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so that white stone uh, is a promise, uh, promises, if you will, entrance into the very victor victorious celebration of heaven that we will enjoy, the marriage supper of the Lamb, all of what heaven has to offer, we get in. So, you know, uh, the joke goes, do you have your ticket to heaven? Well, you better have your stone anyways, <laughs> right? So that, that, that's the idea here. Um, and it says a new name. Now, that's very interesting. So are we all going to get new names when we go to heaven? You know, instead of being Mike, am I going to be Bob or, or, or you know, Tom or, or something like Maybe easier to spell anyways. Yeah, I don't know. 
Well, the reality is that when you study the word out in the Greek and, and understand its tense and what it's meaning, it's not meaning as new as indifferent. It's meaning new as an elevated. All right? So it, our name is, is elevated or a better quality. All right? And so it means that uh, uh, we, when we come in, we, we, our name is, is honored in that um, there and kind of looks at that. One of the other things I'm going to talk about is like, um, in one of the other churches, one of the illustrations, I think it'll go here as well. Have you ever seen a big royal ball, a big royal uh, party or whatever, maybe on TV or something like that? And when you come to the door, what do they do? They announce your name coming in. That's the idea of us entering into heaven uh, because of what Jesus has done for us, not for our own glory, but for what Jesus has done for us, we have the entrance here. So the picture that is given here of this stone is that, and of the manna is that you have received Jesus and you have uh, heaven as your eternal home. Uh, so you have uh, spiritual blessings uh, for knowing Jesus Christ there. Does that make sense? You understand that? So, you know, all three of those are speculative and just kind of, but the one thing that, the last one that I gave you goes a long line with, of history, and Jesus always likes to use things that are physical to give us spiritual teachings from uh, there, and so that kind of lines up with that there. So Now, if I'm wrong when we get to heaven, just praise God anyways, and uh, we'll be okay, all right? All right, so we've gone through three of the churches Let's now move into wrong doctrine, Thyatira. Thyatira. Um, obviously, you know what's wrong with this one. Thyatira or Thyatira, you pronounce it however you like. And to the angel, verse number 18 of the church in Thyatira, write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. He says, I know your works, your love and faith, and service, and patience, endurance, and that you, your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent for her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into the great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will throw, well, excuse me, will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots uh, are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thyatira, what were their strengths? Their strengths were love, faith, works, patience, and endurance. Uh, they were constantly working on themselves to improve themselves. As it says, your works have gotten good uh, and even better in latter times than they were in the beginning. You started off slow, but you're doing really, really well. The problem is, and the, the, the thing that you have done, is you have allowed a woman to come in, a prophetess to come in, and to establish pagan rituals, pagan cults, uh, idolatry, and Im, uh, immorality in the church. There has been a segment of the church that has been split in this uh, in Thyatira that is now following this woman, Jezebel. Now, her name probably wasn't Jezebel. Jezebel is a term of the queen, if you know in, Old, in the Old Testament, Ahab and Jezebel. She was a very wicked, wicked queen, uh, and God had killed her as a result of that. But there's a term, maybe you have heard this or not, called the spirit of Jezebel. Uh, 
And the spirit of Jezebel is the idea of usurping authority. Anyone who comes in to usurp authority. Jezebel usurped the authority of her husband as king. She took over uh, there. And so the idea here is that uh, Jezebel uh, was usurping the authority. She was bringing in immorality. um, And she was um, exploring, literally, and encouraging people to do the things of Satan. So even so, we saw before that that the people were were not following God, were doing the things of Satan. She was promoting pagan rituals, satanic rituals, uh, satanic things within the church, and a group of people had followed her and were following her. And Jesus says, "I'm going to judge her and I'm going to destroy her." Um, and all of you who decide to follow her, you're going to have the same fate. Don't follow her. Those of you that are following her, repent. The rest of the church, those of you that are following Christ, that are, that are fighting against this, that, that don't want this in the church and stuff like that, that I have nothing against you. You're doing a great work. You're continually following the Lord. But those who are uh, against, against or, or following Jezebel, you need to repent. And that's your instruction there. Again, is the word repent in that box there for Thyatira. And so to those who conquer, those who stay on the right side, or those who repent from where they were and, and they, they, they conquer, he, he says here, um, the, the promise is that they will faithfully hold fast until I come. I'm going to give you the power and the strength to endure through all of this. It's going to be a hard time as you try to move this woman out of her place and you try to move the church where it's supposed to go. I'm going to give you strength in that. And then he says, I will give you authority over the nations and gift, uh, excuse me, nations and gift of the morning star. So the authority over the nations, well, we've heard that term before. That is referring to the fact that those who are alive and go into the millennial kingdom, uh, or excuse me, those of us that, that have, let me back up here, I said that wrong. Not those that are alive and going into the millennial kingdom, they'll be alive. Those of us who are raptured in the church will come back and they will rule and reign with Christ on the earth. Did I say that right the second time? <laughs> your mind ever get going faster than your mouth? That's usually rare for me. It doesn't usually happen, but it, it, my mouth goes faster. Anyways. And then when he talks about the gift of the morning star, well, the term morning star out of Daniel and stuff like that is a, is a picture or another phrase for Jesus Christ. He says you'll have, you will have Jesus Christ is what he's talking about. You'll have a relationship with him. You will rule and reign in the millennium there. And so, uh, so again, when we look at these churches, when we look at these promises that are given, when we look at these warnings, stuff like that, they're warnings that apply to all of us, that we need to make sure even today that we don't, we don't do these things, but these were specific in these churches there, okay? And one day we know we'll rule and reign with Christ as long as we continue to have Him in our life and are living the way we're supposed to and have Jesus uh, there. So we'll be ruling and reigning with Him, all right? All right, let's pause for a second. Are there, <laughs> are there any questions up to this point? All right. Well, at least I'm either making sense or you've got this down before me. That's, that's good. So, um, again, I tell you what, I, I always, uh, you know, I don't know that I'm talking super, super fast, but we're just moving super, super fast. And I just, I thank you for uh, staying involved and uh, kind of hard. Kathy. Jezebel was a person. There's a, term, there's a term that's used as the spirit of Jezebel that you can study out. And the spirit of Jezebel literally teaches that it is a person who usurps authority. So God has a God-given authority. So if you were to put, put it into the church confines, then you have the pastor, the elders, and stuff like that. It's a person that blatantly, flat out... Uh, usurps that authority to do their own thing and pushes their own agenda and takes people with them when they do it. This lady, this prophetess that came into the church here, she came in and was amongst, she was a wolf amongst sheep and then she rose up somewhere in the church there and took a big part of the people with her away from the leadership that was the leadership of that church and causing problems within that church and wasn't leaving the church. She was staying in the church to cause those problems. So it is the idea of God has designed proper leadership and as long as the leadership is obeying God and following the word of God, the people are to follow that leadership. 
and to obey that leadership. Uh, but she was coming in, had her own agenda, her own thing, and was taking them into doctrines of demons and Satan and stuff uh, there. And that's why she usurped the authority. That's what that's about. This, in this church was a literal person, was a literal woman that was there, that she eventually called herself a prophetess, and she, eventually, she stirred up all of this within this church here, yes. So in this church, this literally happened uh, there. Yep, absolutely. Anybody else? Good question. Okay. Spiritually dead Sardis. Spiritually dead star, Sardis. Chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, uh, in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Sardis is a picture of a faithful remnant, a small group of, of people that continually stayed faithful to God. And what was happening there is he was saying, the church is dead. This church is a dead church. It's not doing anything. Again, it's kind of like the church of Ephesus that was just mechanical in, in what they were doing. But this church is just barely hanging on. There's only a, a certain amount of people that are coming. There's nothing, the, the word of God isn't being preached. The church isn't doing anything. However, in the midst of this group of people uh, that, where the church is dead, there's a group of faithful people that are trying the best they can to keep the church alive and keep it going forward. And so we have this uh, remnant there. And so he tells them, he, said, he tells them to be faithful and keep, keep going. But for those who are making the church dead, not doing, he says, the failures there, he says, repent and turn back to Christ. Or what he's saying here is all, uh, all are not part of this remnant. So you think because you're going to church and the church isn't doing anything, but because you darken the doors of the church and you sit in a chair uh, and that's enough for, for you to be a part of the church, God's going to be honored with that. And what he's saying is, no that's, no, that's not it at all. The church is dead. You're not doing anything. You're not participating in any way. You're not worshiping in any way. You're not following the word of God. You're not being faithful to what I have commanded you to do. Except there's a small group that, that's smaller than the rest of the church. They're trying, but they're even being stifled by the church and what they're doing they, they can't keep things going for example they'll, they'll give you an example they're, they give an example of something we can do to reach out into the community and it falls on deaf ears of the church no we don't have time to do that or we don't have the efforts to do that or we don't want to do that or anything along uh, those lines there uh, so we see that that who needs to repent are those that are not the remnant but the but the um those who are part of the dead church and then the instruction is strengthen what little faith remains keep on keeping on keep doing what you're doing it's going to rub off somewhere uh, god is pleased with those who are faithful even in the midst of a, of a dead church there keep doing what you, what you're doing and hopefully we can revive this but if it does not revive if you are not going to start becoming alive again to the rest of the church he says the warning is this i'm going to show up now, we've heard the terminology talking about the rapture, that the return of the Lord is like a thief in the night. We see the same terminology being used here, but it's not about the rapture. It's about the fact that, listen, if you don't get your act together, I'm going to show up when you don't know that I'm showing up, and I'm going to take care of business when I do. That's what that's about. He says, I'm going to, because he says, listen, I'll come as a thief in the night. How? Against you. I'm coming against you. All right, I'm, I'm angry that you have, uh, are dead and that, that you're not doing what you're supposed to do and, and I'm going to come in and I'm going to take care of things uh, here. I'm going to clean house, if you will. And he says, but those who conquer, those who will repent and, and start coming back to faith and those who are the remnant who are faithful, he says, faithful uh, 
will, faith will walk with Jesus and not be blotted out of the book of life. So basically, he's saying those of you that are showing genuine faith in the church here, you are showing that you genuinely have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Those who are, have genuine faith, even when those around them fall to the wayside, will continue to serve God and will continue to do what God wants in a right manner, but also in a spiritual manner that brings glory to God. That faithfulness proves that you are genuinely saved and you have a genuine relationship with God. And then he makes a statement here that you will not be blotted out of the book of life. Now, this has caused a, a lot of problems. And a lot of ways of trying to understand what this is talking about. Those who believe that, uh, and don't hold to eternal security believe this verse teaches that if you're, not, if, if you're serving God and saved at one moment, but you're not serving God at another moment, then God erases your name out. It's blotted out of the book of life. But then if you get saved again, your name gets written back in there. But if you fall again, your name's... So God's got to have a lot of erasers up in heaven to make sure that he can blot your name out and stuff like that like that. Obviously, I don't agree with that because salvation is securing God. God's the one who saves. He's the one who keeps us secure. So what is he saying here? Well, there's two possibilities. Um, and the second one, I believe, is the more, more correct. But the first one is, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20, when we get there, we'll see that, that when we stand before God, that the books are open. There's several books that are open, the books of our life, the books that, that go through our life, give us all the records of our life, and then there's the book of life that is open, okay? And so they use the term book of life here, they use the term in Revelation, the book of life as well, there. But... Um, it didn't bother me until I looked at you. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was fine. Don't worry about it. Um, so we have the, the, the book of life given here. Some believe, some will say that because there's many books that are open, that every person that is born alive, physical birth, okay, every person that is physically born is put into what's known as a, a book of life. You're alive, okay? That's what, okay? And then eventually you have to be saved and your name has to be put in a term that we, we like to use is the Lamb's Book of Life, salvation, all right? And they, they say there's a differentiation between the two, although we don't really see that anywhere in Scripture, that's the speculation. So basically, if your name is not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if you're not saved, then eventually your name is blotted out of the Book of Life because when you're sent to hell and separated from God for all of eternity, your existence is actually wiped out in the mind of everyone else. So, uh, there. Uh, so that's one view of it. I think it's more likely that what, uh, God, what Jesus is saying here is he's not necessarily saying there's an opportunity. If you're genuinely saved... If you're genuinely saved, there is not an opportunity for your name to actually be blotted out of the book of life. I think he's saying it in a positive as a way of security. Those who genuinely know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, genuinely saved, have no possible way that their name can be taken out of the book of life. You see what he's saying? So I don't think that there's a possibility of that happening. I think what he's saying is giving a statement of security. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ, genuinely repented of their sin, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, accepted him as Lord and Savior, that he is saved. The Bible says saved to the uttermost, completely saved, sealed by God uh, to, the, to the day of redemption there, and that after that point of salvation, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There's no way that our name can be blotted out there. I think that's more what he's talking about there as well. So, um, because God is the one that keeps salvation secure. Does that make sense on that? You understand that? Some of you are shaking your head yes. Some of you are going, no. <laughs> if you have any questions, we'll talk about that a little bit later, okay? All right. Let's move on to spiritually alive Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the fun church. Philadelphia is, a, if I can use the term in our Western culture, Philadelphia is on fire for God, doing what God wants. They're, they're serving God. They've got no failures. They've got no warnings. They're just doing it right, and this is what is uh, so good. So uh, chapter uh, verse number 7 in chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Talking about the supremacy of God. So 
I love the picture here that he gives on this one. You notice in the other ones where it says the fire uh, guy's eyes, uh, the, the eyes of Jesus are full of fire or the two-edged sword or whatever. You see the judgment coming out in that. Here we have a beautiful picture of Christ, of those who are faithfully serving him, that he is the holy one, he is the true one, he has the keys of David, he opens uh, what no one can shut, he can, he can do anything that needs to be done. Even if man says it can't be done, he can do it. He can, and if it needs to be closed, he can close it and no one else can open it. He's in complete control. So we see, we see already a blessing even in the title of Jesus in this. Verse number 8, I know the works, your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about, my, about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. And my own new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. The spiritually alive church, the church that is following and doing what God has called the church to do. He says, you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Basically, you have stayed faithful and true to serving me and following the, the principles of the Word of God, obeying what the Bible says, staying true in what you're, uh, what you're doing and making sure that you are obedient in those things. You have genuine ministry and genuine things happening. So he's, he's, you've gone forward with this. No failures, none. There's nothing that I see that you need to work on. I, so basically, uh, it's, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. you. You are doing this. Um, and again, let me pause here real quick because we need to understand this. Um, he's proud of what they're doing, but again, they have yielded themselves to the power of the Holy Spirit. They are obedient to the Word of God and what the Holy Spirit wants. They're walking in step with God and doing that, and so the power of God is working through them. That is why they are doing what they're supposed to do. Church, this is what we are to be uh, as well, is to be uh, obedient to the Word of God, be empowered by the Holy Spirit, be led by God to walk in step with Him, not get ahead of Him, not get behind Him uh, there. And so that's what they did. He gives instructions. He says, I have placed before you an open door. I will keep you from the hour of trial. I have placed before you an open door. You're going to have success in ministry. I have opened up the doors for you that others can't go through, but because you are faithful to me, I'm going to continually use you. You're going to be a blessing. You're going to see ministry, okay? It's not going to be easy, peaches and cream and all that kind of stuff, but you're going to be successful in what you do in God's eyes, all right? Remember that success is in God's eyes, not in the world's eyes, okay? You're going to be successful in what you're, what you're doing. And then he gives this blessing to them that we know as being genuine followers of Jesus Christ, what he's talking about here, again, he says, I will keep you from the hour of trial. What's the hour of trial that he's talking about here? Well, I believe he's talking about the tribulation period. I will keep you from the hour of trial. I, you will not go through the tribulation period. The true church of Jesus Christ will not go through the tribulation period. You are not going to endure those types of things, those situations that's going in. I'm going to keep you from them. He has no warning for them. By the way, what was your blank there? Do you, do you have that filled in from the screen? Keep my word, have not denied my name. That's what your first blo block there should be. Got it? Okay, good. And then he says, I will um, make you, to those who conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. This is what is so amazing. Church, we can't do anything without the power of God. There is nothing we can do in and of ourselves that is, that is good enough, powerful enough, that's going to do anything. Yet God is so 
amazingly gracious, so amazing in this that even though God has to do the work through us and does all the work through us, when we are faithfully obeying Him, when we are faithfully uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, when we are faithfully obedient to the Word of God, when we are doing what God has called us to do, He elevates us into a place of honor. I can't even believe that, but this is what he says. I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Pillars in ancient times had things ascribed on them uh, to honor people in them and stuff like that. And that's what he's, he's saying here. He's saying that you will be in a place of honor. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm just like, I don't need a place of honor. I just need a place, <laughs> right? Just get me there, right? That's all I need. But, but that's how uh, amazing our God is is you know it's it's almost like being in that that place again i used that illustration earlier i want to use it again it's like the fact that when we come into heaven uh our name is announced that that we are there Uh, you remember what jesus said or what god said about job in job chapter one he said look at my servant job and what was he saying he was saying look how good this guy is he surrendered to me i empower him look at what he's doing and satan goes oh it's just because you blessed him it's all he won't follow you and you know what happens in the book of job and all that takes place but the reality here is that because this church is faithful god says to us look at my servant and put your name there they were faithful doesn't mean they were sinless, doesn't mean they were perfect. It means that, that when they sinned, they got it right and they continued to work and they continually trusted God and they stayed obedient to God's word and they were faithful in what they were doing and they received that honor. That's what the church of Phil, uh, Philadelphia, he's talking about. Again, these happen specifically in these churches, but it also applies to us as well. And then let's go now to the complacent Laodicea. Complacent Laodicea. So, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Let's pause there just for a minute because you need to understand this. This is a statement about Jesus. Now, where, where it says the beginning of God's creation, our English language doesn't do this justice. Many people try to come here and say, well, see, Jesus was created. Jesus was not created. That's not what that's saying. In the Greek, it makes a lot more sense. It means that he is the source of creation. Okay? Jesus, who is the source of creation there, and not the first created. So meaning that when we go back to John chapter 1, and it says all things were created by him, and nothing was made that wasn't made, with, was made through him. So we know that Jesus, as God, created everything that there was. So Jesus was not the first created. He is the creator. All right, so understand that there. All right, verse 15. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now see, the King James Version is a lot more fun there. I, you know, it's the only time that you can really say vomit in church, right? You know? So this, that's the, the picture is not just this little thing. This is like, you've made me sick. That's what it's saying, okay? Just get the picture. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may, be clothed, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the churches, excuse me. Complacent Laodicea. Strengths for this church? Not one. This church has no strengths whatsoever. They have become completely complacent. He said, Your failures are that you're neither hot nor cold, that basically you've become lukewarm, you've become stale. 
is the idea. You become, uh, you know, how many of you, I don't know, well, we like iced coffee. I don't even know what illustrations to give anymore, because you used to say, how many of you drink your coffee cold? Well, I'll be like, yeah, we all got iced coffee, okay? What? No, but it's when you have a hot cup of coffee, and, it beco- and you left it there, and it becomes sitting there all day long there, and you you know, I know so, some of you are tough enough to drink that stuff, but really it's not all that good. That's what he's talking about there, being lukewarm. All right. Um, he gives them instructions to turn from their indifference and repent. I'd rather you be sold out for me. I'd rather you not, whatever, but find what, what you're going to do. Turn from your indifference and repent because you are... Uh, sick, and of course you'll notice the warning here comes out of the King James Version, I will vomit you out of my mouth there, okay? Now, there's something here I need to make a point of, and I want to just kind of roughly, uh, quickly do this. In this passage of Scripture, I read a verse that you probably have heard many times. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. We have heard that, we have heard that preached many times as a salvation message, that Jesus is knocking at your heart's door, wants to come in, have a relationship with you. Um, And it can preach, okay? But it's really not the context of what's being given here. What's happening here and what he's talking about are those who have claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ and they are now lukewarm and they really have no relationship with God. God is saying, listen, I want, I want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to uh, visit with me. Even more so than salvation, I want you to have a relationship where it's intimate with me on a regular basis. And so he's saying, when you get your heart right, I'll come in and we'll sup together and we'll have a great relationship together, all right? So that's what he's talking about then. But because the church of Laodicea may even be actually saved, but they're, they're lukewarm. They're just uh, apathetic. They're just, I don't care. I don't know and I don't care, right? That just, that's how it is. Let's just do our thing. I'm rich. I'm happy. I'm content. I don't need anything. God doesn't have to do anything for me. I can handle it myself. Uh, and so... I don't really need God. I just need him to get me out of hell. I need my fire insurance, and that's basically it, and I'm good to go, all right? That's why you also see a lot of people say that we're living in the age of Laodicea. Remember that this one really applies to this because the church has gotten that way as well, but this really applies to us individually. And so to the one who conquers, to to the one who moves out out of their um, uh, apathetic and starts serving God. He says, I will invite those to over, uh, who overcome to sit with me on my throne. And this is a picture of the fact that the genuine follower of Jesus Christ, the genuine believer, will rule and reign with Christ in the millennial kingdom. We will sit on his throne. We will be able to rule and reign with him uh, there as, uh, he sa- as we see in the millennial reign of Christ. So you see, in the promises to fulfill... To those who, con- who, who conquers, all of those columns there are referring to those who are genuinely saved. If you genuinely have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now the rest of it we may struggle with. We're going to struggle in our lives with all of these different things. But he's saying if you will repent to get those things right, I understand that you make mistakes, I understand that you choose sin, but make sure that your relationship with me is right and you have a great relationship with me and you're saved and, and you're ready to go forward and these you will be one of those who conquers and will be saved. So you see the application is to us, but each one of these churches had these problems in their church, and John dealt with them in the church. So you see how the interpretation is what's happening in these churches, the application we can apply to ourselves individually on that. Okay. So that's as far as I wanted to get through tonight. That took us the full hour, but I do want to ask if anybody has any questions or any comments or any thoughts or anything along those lines. Ron. Last Book of Life. Yes, sir. Right. 
so those that are online with us to know the question, uh, so as I taught uh, and I said, our name's not blotted out of the book of life, salvation is given by God, but that does not mean that we can have a free-for-all and do what we want. And that's really the heart of salvation. So the idea is, is that the genuine person who is genuinely saved recognizes the salvation that God has given to them, how precious that is, and desires by the power of the Holy Spirit as well, desires to do the things of God. So because of what God has done for us, our desires should have changed in our lives that we do not desire sin. Now, we have temptation, we give in to temptation, we sin still in this body uh, of flesh that we live in. We still have to deal with sin, uh, okay? We still make the choice to sin in this body. But our desire, our heart desire, should be that we desire to follow God because of what He has given to, uh, given to us in salvation. Also, we have the Holy Spirit residing inside of us that when we, are, when we sin, we receive a genuine conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that conviction also confirms our salvation in us it's because conviction of the Holy Spirit is to always move us to repentance and forgiveness despite who else knows about it. Many people who aren't saved will confess their sin because they got caught by somebody else or, they, or their guilt got too big. The idea is, though, is when we, are sa- when we are saved and we sin, the Holy Spirit re- rec- causes us to recognize that, convicts us of that, and the Holy Spirit draws us to ask forgiveness and to be restored. And that's what conviction is, to restore us back to health. Satan wants to condemn us and tear us down and to destroy us there okay so yes you're at, you're absolutely right um, a person that is genuinely saved can commit any sin that's out there but there'll be conviction in their life of the holy spirit they will want to get it right the other thing is and this is where it gets hard for us as humans a person can go live in sin for a while even as a genuine believer but god the holy spirit is continually working on them and eventually draws them back uh, into fellowship with god and getting that Right, I've seen that uh, as well. But a genuine follower of Jesus Christ cannot live in what we would call habitual sin and be okay in it uh, on a long-term basis there, okay? So does that help clear that up? Okay, good. Great question. Excellent question. Anybody else? You guys are so smart. I love it. I love it. All right, next week we will start uh, in chapter 4, and we will be in heaven in chapter 4. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this lesson. God, I thank you for these folks. Um, I pray that as I have spoken and as I have taught, Lord, that it was clear. Where it's not, Holy Spirit, would you please uh, make it clear? Would you please bless in this? And uh, Father, take us now home safely. Bring us back to worship you on Sunday, I pray. And we pray for your, uh, to be glorified in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful night.